What's up, guys? Welcome into episode 103 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from MikeSlessons.com. My co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Once Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk about Brazilian Samba, we'll talk about Steve Smith, we'll talk about Love Custom Snare Drums, we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. <laughs> I'm not even going to mention it. How are you, pal? I'm doing all right, except for my... Uh my dog got sprayed by a skunk last night. That was awesome. Ooh. Yeah. Have I'm you a, had that before? Yeah, second time. He's, he... Nice. <laughs> it's, yeah, we're going to talk about dogs for a minute because it was my life for like three hours. So he... Yeah, yeah. Bring it up. He had got sprayed when he was probably about two. Like, okay. And it was... That one was hilarious because it got him in the eyes. So when he came back to the house, he looked like Rocky. Like his eye was oh, all swollen. All swollen, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. was fired up. He's like, wipe me off and let me back out. I'm getting this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first time. And then last night, he just, for whatever reason, wanted to go outside at like 1130. And I just opened the door and let him out. And he just disappeared into the dark. I'm like, uh-oh, something's happening. And oh, he boy. just came back, you know, like all proud of himself, just running back. No big deal. He looked fine. And then I uh-huh. get in the house and he just starts drooling like foam coming out of his mouth. The thing sprayed oh. him in the mouth, like oh. in the actual mouth. So weird. Like oh I couldn't get gosh. rid of it. I was wiping him down. I was like, it's not on your skin. Like what the heck? It's like he must have bit the thing and it just squirted him in the mouth. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. Oh. Nothing like a good, good upfront skunk smell all night long. <laughs> oh, that's rough, man. Yeah. Uh, the house I grew up on is on the American River, uh, my mom's house, and then now our business is on that same river, and that's just par for the course. Like, your dogs are going to get skunked, and oh, yeah. you just keep the tomato juice on hand, <laughs> bathe them in tomato juice, and it's gone, and that's that's part of it, man. I, yeah, if you just let him drink a full bowl of tomato soup, your dog will be golden, buddy. That, that smell will be gone in a second. The irony yeah, is he like, already had the worst breath in the world. He smelled like, like a rotten oh, tuna can, but now he's got this skunk great. stench of, like, it's really hard to describe like skunk like up close and personal is a weird smell oh it's it's, like burnt rubber or something yeah yeah it's it's tough so um (laughs) since our studio is on the river we just in general like our studio gets skunked like they don't come up to the door or anything but they they'll like get freaked out somewhere in our parking lot and do their thing and then what happens is I walk in in the morning and it smells like someone shot a Dr. Dre video here. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, what is? Did somebody get high in my studio? And I'm like, oh, we got skunked. Um, but it's like I always have this. Right when I walk in, it's just this like image of the coolest party that ever happened. And you and weren't I'm there, like, yeah. But I wasn't there. And I'm like, I know that didn't happen. So what happened? That, you know, it's part of part of being on the river, and now I'm yeah. glad to know that it happens to you too. Yeah, so. indeed, and it's always the same. It's always at night. I mean, yeah, I just got to stop letting them out at night. It's just my own mistake. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we let's talk in. about your recording session. Oh boy, was it skunky? <laughs> it was not. It was so much fun. Good. Uh, it was the opposite of any session I've ever experienced in my life. And you know what? I think what led to that is it's way different when you pay for it. It's like, I don't care. Yeah, it's your thing. I don't care if I'm on the click. I don't (laughs) care if it takes us forever to get this. I paid for the, you know. I mean, in in all fairness, my my band and I split it, but but it was different than being there on a label's request and they're spending 1500 a day and they're reminding right. you every take uh, just so you know it's a very expensive studio <laughs> and and it's like okay um, so yeah there was no stress as soon as uh, myself and the band got our tones and everything we, we recorded all in one room and then 
we ended up doing overdubs for guitar and bass just because the tones that we were getting had to be uh, they were direct so that I could keep those as my play along tracks but it wasn't the actual tones that my guitar player and bass player really wanted oh, okay. so then we ended up doing some overdubs <laughs> but um but we record the whole thing live. Uh, I would say eighty percent of it will be live, and then just some lead lines are going to be overdubs. But um, but yeah, we sat down, we got our tones, and we were in the studio, and I just said, "Okay, guys, here's the deal: we are not recording audio. We are recording a moment in time. I don't want you to think about the missed notes. Don't get in your own head. Don't look down at the ground because we've never done that before. We stare at each other and we laugh mm, and we right. have fun. Let's record that, and then every time you hear something, you'll remember the moment that it happened." Uh, when we're listening back, you know, two months from now, and that's what I want to record. Let's just record moments. And if other people dig it, cool. But don't, you know, I know what it's like to miss one note, and then the whole time you're like, the whole takes ruined, the whole takes yeah. ruined, and you can't be back in the zone. And I'm like, I don't care about that. We, you know, we're gonna be fine. So, um, like a, a good example is there's a moment we're playing the song, and we get to this kind of heavy bark marketish part. And we play it through it once. Uh, it's like our bridge section. And then we play it again, and our, our guitar player, Dean, steps on his uh, – it's like an octave – octaver and overdrive pedal. So mm-hmm. he gets one octave lower and an overdrive. Well, for whatever reason, it's 90% louder than his regular preset. <laughs> Not normally. But so we're playing, and he steps on it. And both Q, the bass player, and me, just like our ears start bleeding. And we look straight up, and our eyes are like bugging out of our head. And that's the take that we kept. And I'll always remember like that moment. And so anyway, so yeah, I just told him like, let's just have as much fun as possible. And mm-hmm. we got all the drums done in about two hours. And then so we did like two takes of each song. Yeah. And that was it. Uh, I recorded almost everything on the click, just one song. Just seemed like it was just going to be a nightmare to go seven eight five eight five four back to seven eight, and so we just we started it out on the click, and then I just had the producer fade the click out after about a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything was good. Uh, we'll uh, go back to mix as soon as I get back from Ireland. So sweet, awesome, man! I wish mm-hmm. more people would have that mentality when they're recording because it's. You think about my favorite records; it's always the little little mistakes that that I love. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, those. The human parts. I can't imagine sure. if Jimmy Page would have went back and redid. I think it's since I've been loving you, or one of those early Zeppelin tracks where he comes in like two beats early. Like I, right. if he would have went back and redid that, I'd be like, every time I listen to that track, I wouldn't have heard that awesome mistake. Like yeah, he yeah, came yeah. in with authority just two beats early. Like <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree, and and I kind of also feel like this genre of music. That's that's really the purpose of it is. It's like okay, I, I God, I don't want perfect fusion, man. Yeah. I want, oh gosh, I want us pushing yeah. ourselves. Uh, I want happy mistakes happening. You know, like there's there are some things that, and even the producer. When I came back in, I listened to each take once, and he, and the producer was a drummer, and he was like, "You want to listen again?" I'm like, "Nope," because if you let me listen again, we'll be here all yeah, day. You'll hear stuff. I'm like, yeah. I. And I even listened to it instead of listening to it the way you're supposed to listen to it. We were just having a band conversation during playback, and I was like, "If anything stops this conversation, then I know I need to go retrack it." But if that can be on in the background and I don't notice anything in the drums, then we're fine. So <laughs> right. that's about how much attention I gave it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll find out later. <laughs> I luckily I got to hear it back a million times during overdubs, but um, but I just know that I just know myself. I know I'd obsess over it. So it's like, yeah. dude, as long as nothing was wrong. 
all we're going to do now is trade out chops and trade out accents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not any more valuable than the ones that were already played. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, it was great, man. It was really good. Do you have an uh, expected release date yet? Uh, yeah, so I would say probably late September, okay. early November. Uh, so the the time frame now is I'm going I – I have a camp starting this Saturday – uh, do that advanced camp. The day the campers leave, I fly to Ireland, go do that camp with Mark and Ash. Then when I get back, we'll mix. Then I'm going to take the mix to Nashville and do videos with uh, for these tracks with Meinl. Sweet. And then I'll choose drum tracks. Am I going to keep the Sacramento ones or the Nashville ones? Then we'll then we'll fully have it mastered and everything, and then go from there. So. Oh, cool! So you're going to do a second pass when you're in Nashville. Well, I mean, we're doing it just for the video, but I'm in like a high-end Nashville studio. I might as well keep yeah, the drum tracks, right, you right. know. Um, so I figured it. The only way I can see keeping those is it. You know, it's three weeks more of practice time on the tracks. I might have mm-hmm. developed the parts a little further. So awesome. Um, so yeah. So so and then we'll uh, we'll put it out. Um, I guess the big question now is, you know. How do we put it out? You know, iTunes only yeah. or iTunes and Spotify? Are we trying to just build the name of the band? Are we trying to actually recoup our recording costs? Um, so what do you do with that stuff? Well, I mean, I th- there was a great interview. I think I posted yesterday with Trent Reznor. I can't remember who okay. interviewed him, but I would advise everyone to go check it out because he, he, he's always super honest and very intelligent, and he kind of had this – the conclusion because you remember he did all those experiments a decade ago of like pay what you want you can get it for free or you can pay right yeah and he learned and radiohead very, was doing that yeah too. he learned very quickly that if it's free people are going to take it for free right. always that's Absolutely. just always the yeah. way it goes so he kind of broke it down to like it's better to just have people want to listen to your music rather than trying to force them to pay for it and you just kind of have to accept it like put it everywhere it long as long as people have access to it and you should be honored that people want to listen to it for free even mm. so yeah. i kind of feel i mean there's there's no way to kind of there's no way to take it back you know napster just just dismantled the game so there's i don't think there's any way to not right. put it on spotify like why why not you know you're just losing Agreed. potential yeah. fans and i mean it's you're never going to get any money from spotify apple music might pay you a little bit more but you're still not going to get anything. So, I mean, right. it seems like the best model that I've seen now is put it everywhere for free, but then have some really cool hard copy versions, vinyl or mm. something that's yeah. signed copies, something that's special. That's cool. And then sell that yeah. more as a merchandise item. You gotcha. know, if you buy the vinyl, you get the download for free. Got it. You know, something like that. I think it's just, mm. and it's, I don't think it's ever coming back that, that people will buy your music because they're a fan. <laughs> You know, I just don't think. No, it will. I, I mean, I and I pay for my subscriptions, but at the same time, I think about how quick I just I like one song, and I'm like, I might as well download the album. It's not going to cost me anymore. Right. So I do pay for Apple Music. I do pay for the premium Spotify, but still, that's. I mean, the the amount of music that I'm ingesting that's saving me about twenty six thousand uh, dollars per yeah. month. <laughs> right. So <laughs> it's like. <laughs> You know, I, cause even that, even paying, I feel horrible because I'm like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to go to Tower <laughs> Records, and I'm supposed to decide, do I have enough money to get two CDs or one? And I and then I go to the bargain bin and get like an old Blue Note record. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, five ninety nine uh, bootleg Miles yeah. Davis record or something. Yeah. There you go. So, hey, let's talk about real quick. Uh, time did come into play in the studio. Uh, oh, yeah. As our listeners know, I've been working on my time a lot. What really came in was not this 
oh, I've worked all my time for a month now. Now I'm now I'm ready to be Josh Freeze. That right. was not the case. Right. So heads up, everyone. You might want to practice for more than a month before you think <laughs> you can take over Matt Chamberlain's job. Um, what really happened was the consistency of the time on the songs that we didn't use a click on. Um, and it okay. just I, I could just feel I could feel the time so much more than I've ever felt it. Mm-hmm. I could feel when like I've never once told a musician you're rushing or dragging because I honestly don't know. Yeah, right, right. I'm like, we're off. That's my <laughs> I don't know why, but we're off. I It was so awesome to be like, hey, you're dragging the lead section here and you're 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 pulling me back. I need you to really kind of lean forward into your instrument and, and push that thing because you're just naturally pulling it behind. Uh-huh. I've never been the guy that could tell the band that ever because I, I would expect as soon as I said that, they would go, uh, do you know that you're completely all over the map? And I'd be like, uh, okay, <laughs> no. No. No, if I did, I'd fix it. So yeah, so I, I definitely could feel the time much better. That's good. Now, as far as my personal time practice, you had a great suggestion about last week about doing two bars of click two bars of gap just like i was doing except for have it on the off beats yeah so i haven't started that yet because all i did was prep for this recording Mm -hmm. and so my personal practice got kind of behind but i i had been working on something that i was hoping maybe both of us could work on this week okay and uh, we could give it a try so what it is is it's two bars of click two bars of gap so that's all you have to set up on your metronome everyone can do that you play the two bars in time, and then during the gap, you play one bar of four four and one bar of seven eight. Uh-huh. That flips the click to the gap or to the upbeats. Right. Then it's four four nine eight, which gets it back to the downbeats. Yep. Okay. Does that make sense? So I'm kind of at the point where I can do it in a groove situation. The improvisation is 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 rough. Mm. Um, but uh, and and it's all it all. But I at least I can feel now. I know when it's about to not work out. Oh, good. It, All right. It used to always be a surprise. You're like, really? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I nailed that. Power surge. But now I know, like, uh, here, here we come. Like, I, I'm way ahead of this thing. And then it goes, it come, the click comes in, and sure enough, I was way ahead. That's so, awesome. yeah. Yeah, so the feel's starting to get there. So maybe we could both work on that little exercise, and then we could post audio clips of it next week. Yeah, sure. I mean, I took um, I took four days off from drumming this past weekend. Like, didn't touch a pair of drumsticks. I went, you know, went out of town. And mm-hmm. when I when I came back, I was shocked at how quickly my mental focus had atrophied for that kind of stuff. Really, it was like the my chops were fine. I, I my single stroke was still pretty much where it was the week before. I lost maybe a little bit of of speed but okay. the the biggest thing was just the the mental focus the clarity of like i just couldn't concentrate wow. with the click on the middle triplet for for a while for like a day it was like wow i really can't focus on this right now wow so that's it was, crazy. It was a strange strange experience i kind of expected it but not like that like whoa i gotta start all over and, and drop the click back down to 60 and i mean wow. I, I got it back after a couple of days Okay. But it was it was kind of shocking. Like, wow! If I don't maintain this every day, it's it's gonna it, it'll slip. And it's not so. Yeah, it's just a it's just a focus. It's a concentration yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean, being it, there's so many things that we put on other people and call it talent, but we forget that even if you don't have it naturally, you can practice it. Yeah. So laser sharp focus. You can practice focusing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, and massive amounts of creativity. It's like well. If you're not creative, then you're going to have to practice it. Like, yeah, yeah. You have to take time out of your day to be creative. And I, it's so funny. I put up a post about that exact thing, and 
total artist guy. Like, like guy that would have four armpits if he could just to grow more hair out of them. Like, artist, artist. <laughs> Ripped me to pieces. He's like, just so you know, creativity is born in you. You either oh, have it goodness. or you don't. And yeah. if you don't have it, you're never going to have it. And I was oh, like, okie dokie. <laughs> aren't you just... Aren't you just so happy making finger paintings on the bus? (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, okay, well, I don't agree. Um, You can practice it because Mark Giuliano might be one of the best examples of all time of that, of somebody that has actually created uh, an entire thing that he's got going out of non-creative exercises. I mean, he's practiced the basics so much he can do anything he wants. So, so yeah, so I think that I think focus can be practiced. Now I think environment is a huge part of it. Uh, You know, if you are born in Germany and you're raised by a family that's really into efficiency and get the most out of your time, you're probably going to have pretty good focus, you know? Yeah, right. Um, If you're (laughs) born playing in the mud down at the river all day, catching crawdads, (laughs) then you're going to be a little bit more like me. It's like, (laughs) I can brag for about five minutes and I'm like, you know what? (laughs) I want a donut. (laughs) And then we're good. So, well, so do you have it back now? Yeah, it kind of came back this morning because where I was at, last week was I didn't even think about it. I was got that point where it was just there. It just existed and I didn't have to question it. But hmm. it took a couple of days of like doing all the tricks that I that I practice where I'm, you know, subdividing all the, the eighth notes in my head or counting out loud or tapping my foot extra strongly. Hmm. All these little devices that I don't know which one of those is the most effective, but I do them all. And eventually, now today, it was kind of back, pretty much where it was last week. Okay, but it took, now, when it you, took two days of that. When you are using the middle triplet or or any of the triplet partials, I mean, obviously besides the downbeat, do you groove in? I mean, are you swinging everything you play? No, this is strictly practice pad uh, timing. So gotcha. I'm just I'm just okay. playing hand okay. patterns with triplets, accent patterns with triplets. Okay. my basic maintenance kind of time practice. Uh, I got you. I thought you meant you were sitting down on the kit, throwing the click on, and then just improvising. And I was like, "Are you doing that? Is like straight time with a with the no, second triplet no, no. fighting you?" No, okay. it, it, I'm working on hand patterns. The stuff what I I'm doing on the kit lately is I'm actually creating loops that I have no idea what the tempo is, and then I I just have to play along to it, and it doesn't loop perfectly 100 okay. percent every time. So that. That's my kit practice is I'll do like a whole note kind of a synth pad and I think it's it's looping every four beats, but there might be a slight delay. You know. And then do you fudge your drumming to fit that? Are you doing it as like an ear training thing? Or yeah. do you stay okay. No, I just play to it and I just I just I don't even think about it. That's my goal, is I don't even want to think about it. Just that's the gotcha. loop, play to it. And then nice. try to make it sound natural and smooth. So that's where I'm at with my kit practice. It's more of creating loops that don't necessarily have any distinct subdivisions or something like that. Gotcha. And just internalizing that that pad and then can I play a groove over top of it. Not wow. not a whole That's lot awesome. of improv. I need to get more into I need I need to learn how to drum solo. So you're in the year of time. I should do a year of freaking drum soloing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. 
I, I tried to convince my bass player that because uh, he just hates bass solos, hates all soloing in general, and he's got kind of a bass solo in one of the songs. And I just spent the whole time convincing him, like, dude, it's just a slight feature. It's not a solo. <laughs> you're just being featured quickly, and then you get out, and then you're back to playing your root notes. You're back to playing, yeah, like, yeah. holding it down for us. And he's like, but I just hate soloing. I'm like, dude, it's just a, it's just a feature. So the year of, of the Mike Dawson feature. I love it. Um, by the way, as our, our listeners know, I've been jonesing for something for a very long time. And last night or yesterday, the fine people at FedEx dropped off a 14 by 5.5 Ron Danette titanium snare drum. Oh, you so got it. Nice. I, I got it. So uh, I'd like to make that the uh, the gear review for next week. Let's do it. And it's pretty neat, dude. <laughs> it's I'm not going to lie. Yeah, neat. He's, he's not bad at what he does. <laughs> he is not bad. All right. Well, let's get into some education. Let's talk about uh, an article that Rich Redman wrote for the September issue of Modern Drummer which is the basics of samba patterns and putting really putting hand patterns over the samba foot ostinato. So let's just be up front and get it out of the way. We're not talking about legit in the streets Brazilian samba. We're taking the basics of samba and the basic foot ostinato and then using it more as like a way to play patterns here and and we can also play these in gigs you know and it gives us a representation of it i usually hope with my students that whatever samba stuff i teach them i'm just hoping it it triggers them to go hey do you have more like this And i'm like okay let me now let me open the doors to what's really happening over there because it's very different than the drum set version we do over here um honestly you guys just type in Brazilian drumming to YouTube and see what happens and oh, you'll yeah. be like how are these not the most famous drummers ever and these <laughs> just these, this looks like Uncle Gary on the drums <laughs> and just playing stuff that you'll never be able to play with the touch you'll never be able to achieve so yeah, yeah. so we start with that and so did you use Samba as a world groove thing when you were learning it or did you learn it use it as independence I first learned it as a jazz Samba so it was more okay. like I was in you know the school big band and this this song says this samba chart feel yeah yep. and it was mm-hmm. almost always a ride cymbal based not not the snare drum based version not the street right. beat kind of samba yep. more of a you know what you would hear on a return to forever record or something like yep. that it was always more sure. of a jazz samba um, so that kind of started me down it but then that you know that kind of led me into i i can't just settle for that so i had to explore like what is a samba where the heck's it come from what's you know so that's when i got into I got the Brazilian Rhythms for Drum Set book by the Duca. Maria Martinez? Oh. No, the, uh, the Duca de Fonseca and Bob Wiener. Oh. Gotcha. Um, that one I, I highly recommend for everyone because he's really good about showing the, the lineage. Like, here's the traditional patterns for all the different drums, and here's how mm-hmm. you can put that on the different parts of the drum set. And there's you know great audio that demonstrates. There's, like, samba school rhythms that he breaks down on there. So that was kind of as close as I could get to learning the the legit Brazilian samba feel. Yeah, without going over there. Yeah. And then in college I was in a I was in a world music ensemble so we did a lot of, you know, real try to do real versions of samba. Right. Yeah, but, I used um uh Chuck Silverman has uh his practical applications for a Brazilian drum set. So he has yeah, the okay. Afro-Cuban one and then he has the Brazilian one yeah. and I remember 
I remember patterns, hand patterns over the samba was the first time I, I was 14 or maybe 15 when my private teacher got me there. And it was my first time ever truly considering quitting the drums. And I, I wasn't being like a pouty little kid. I was like, you know what? Honestly, I don't think I'm really cut out for this. This is so much work. Because really? everything before then was beats and fills. Uh-huh. I get to, you know, if I get to your house, I go to Mike Dawson's house, I sit on your drum set, I undo your clutch, then I clamp it down so I don't have to do anything with my left foot. Um, (laughs) I put my foot off to the side of it and I I rip, you know, and so all of a sudden it was, I remember it was specifically the single paradiddle over the samba. I just thought I'm not cut out for this. And at the time I was kind of touring the U.S. racing bikes and I was like, you know what, I'll just do that. I'm... That's easier. Pretty much that's what I was saying, is that's easier. I'll yeah, do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then getting through that and getting through all stick control and everything over the foot ostinato of the samba, that is still, to this day, my reference. When I'm struggling, I'm like, you know what? I did that. That means I can do this. It's one note at a time. Mm-hmm. Slow the hell down, Johnston, and let's just go. And if I can do one note today that I couldn't do yesterday... There can only be so many notes in the bar. Eventually, I'll get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I guess I did practice as a, as a independence thing for a while too, because I remember Dom Famularo's first uh, instructional video. He he explained how he makes sambas out of uses flam patterns on the snare and then mm-hmm. moves the hand, the right hand to the ride symbol. So he's he's playing like pataflaflas oh, okay. and flam paradiddles yeah. and all, you know basically improvising <laughs> flam patterns. Yeah. And then he had that foot pattern going. Uh, the I mean it's we call it the samba pattern but it's just a samba foot pattern it's not obviously not yeah. the samba foot pattern but right 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 so yeah I did a lot of that like taking my rudimental snare drum exercises and putting them over top of that mm-hmm. that awesome, yeah. I don't know that was I, I mean I have a rule for my students which is anything you can play with your hands you should be able to play over the samba foot ostinato yeah, so okay. when I when I teach somebody a five stroke roll then we learn it over the samba eventually you know mm. and if if we're doing pat flaws flaws um, I love things that are phrased in 16ths but grouped into threes. So yeah. uh, Swiss triplets, flam accents, that feel over the bar line is great. Um, and, and, you know, and then just really understand, kind of going, you know, you know who's got a really cool rock samba is Todd Zuckerman. Yeah. Um, yeah. He like, he'll, he'll spend a good five to ten minutes in his solo doing that stuff. And it's it's pretty cool because he has all those hand chops of like, great marching guys but then he can and he really opens up his flams yeah i don't yeah. know why i'm like squinching my face and getting like, so excited just thinking about it <laughs> he just gets like so into it man and i i love that stuff but uh and then uh quick story about this stuff before we get more into rich's thing when i went to uh spain no i went to mexico and did stuff with uh eloy casagrande over there we did like mm. three days together yeah and when he said, do you want to jam some samba? And I was like, hell yeah, I got that down. And then he played, and I was I just got off the drums. I was like, <laughs> clearly we don't have, clearly you didn't see PDF uh, number three out of Chuck Silverman's yeah, book. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, uh, American samba and Brazilian samba is still quite a ways apart. But it was still one of the coolest times ever just getting to see him do that and then have him kind of walk me through the stuff he listens to that's from that genre so yeah. it's good stuff i so, think the the phrasing of the 16s is what's what's so different from what we do here it's it's like a reverse yeah. swung 16th or something it's yeah, like they, they crush the middle notes and then mm-hmm. elongate the outer notes and it's not something that it doesn't for me I, it's natural for them because that's the music of their culture but for me i heard it i was like i have no idea what they're playing it didn't sound like anything familiar it was yeah. so foreign to me 
Yeah, I, I couldn't. Uh, it, it was almost like the first time I heard the D'Angelo album Voodoo. I was like, this can't be right. Yeah, this right. is factually incorrect, <laughs> mathematically wrong. Um, but it, it has a feel, and that's what feel is. It's how you interpret those. You have yeah. four notes per beat. How do you interpret them? And they have their own interpretation. I know f- for me, my first entry into even scratching the surface was, can I even play the foot ostinato properly? Because, and I'm not talking about the rhythm. I'm talking about the, the open tones and the closed tones. Mm. Can I get on my 18-inch bop bass drum and mute this thing as if my hand was covering a surdo and then open it up? And yeah, right. even that was like, oh, my gosh, this is a whole different level of independence. Yeah, and then the other the other thing that I spent some time practicing that I think is not taught enough is, I mean, the surdo part is sort of an improvised pattern. So I spent a lot of right. time like, can I improvise with the bass drum while playing improvised mm. snare drum patterns at the same time to make it sound like yeah. two people kind of improvising together and that's that yeah i mean that's what eloy was doing and i was like yeah i don't i don't know where one is I'm just gonna <laughs> get up and i'm gonna move to the crowd seats and just watch you play <laughs> um but yeah i mean that's it, it it is a tough thing and i think in rich's article and you guys can check out the video on modern drummer.com is that right is it there yeah it's there the, the, the september issue is just released digitally so all the content should be on the website now fantastic so you guys can check that out and in there uh he's just doing a lot of cool hand patterns there's some stuff that's kind of right hand dominant where you're getting almost almost like a little half cascara feel um getting that cuban vibe going but then a lot of it's just really cool because it's just odd groupings you guys probably already know like threes and fives and stuff yeah he took Um, just a simple concept of all the rights are going to be rim shots and all the lefts are going to be ghost notes and just play tons of different sticking patterns and then that becomes you know and basically your right hand is playing a melody while your left hand's filling in everything yeah that's it it's it's it's, it sounds like a a cool samba pattern you know you can call with he, he did 16 of them but you can i mean you can keep going forever with that yeah and and i would say it's it's if you go through that you definitely have what i would call the wedding samba down mm-hmm. you will get us through the the cheesy samba song that somebody requested like we'll get through we're going to be fine i think really what it comes down to is just the energy what yeah you, you almost have to listen to samba to understand the intensity because there can be quiet I wouldn't say chill, but definitely there can be kind of low volume samba, but it has so much intensity to it. Yeah, it's like it's rolling on, down a hill always. Yeah, always. Yeah. Yep. And then and then if you listen to any Baducata stuff, which would be like drums only samba, if you listen to that stuff and all the street samba stuff, you know you you can't even believe that there's no musicians, uh, you know, or no sorry, no melodic musicians. Right. I don't want right. Drummer guy to freak out. <laughs> we are musicians, dude. It's like I get it. I just mean there's no. <laughs> there's no melodic it sounds like there's so much music happening and then all of a sudden you realize like wow there's nothing other than maybe a whistle and a ton of drums and a triangle so (laughs) pretty cool stuff we'll definitely check out the samba basics uh article that rich redmond did in the september issue now from rich redmond to journey yes indeed cover artist alexander smith that is not his middle name (laughs) We'll say, are, so, you on, are you on? Are you on Wikipedia looking up his bio? Right I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but I need to know something right off the bat. Be honest with me. Okay. Steve Smith. Yes. Was he to you Journey's drummer, or did you find out that the dude from Vital Information used to play in Journey? How was the lineage for you? Steve Smith for me was the. 
peer to Vinny Cayuta that was an amazing drummer that I saw right. on instructional videos before anything else. Exactly. I didn't I had think of any no idea. any musical situation. It was just, that guy's amazing. I know he went mm-hmm. to college with Vinny Cayuta. I got to check him out. <laughs> that was yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, I think my generation, you know, for me, I started obsessing on drummers in like maybe right before grunge. So uh-huh. I kind of, I, I didn't, I had to go back in time. So when people would say like, oh, I love Steve Smith. I'm like, you mean Steve's like bald Steve Smith? That guy was in Journey? And they're like, yeah, who did you think was in Journey? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't listen to a lot of Journey. And I'm like, really? The guy from Vital Information? Like the, one of the best drummers in the world was in Journey? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh. And then <clears throat> when you see somebody play Don't Stop Believing," and you're like, oh, man, that's a hard drum part. It's yeah. a weird little part okay it kind of makes sense but yeah i'm I'm with you for me steve smith was a peer to vinnie dave will kennedy they they were in that class together and then i found out he was in journey yeah his middle name is elliot by the way i just wicked i know i I just got done texting him man i was like steve elliot it's Jono. What up? E. We call him E around here. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> when he's been on your cover 96 times, you probably would. How many times has he been on the cover? I don't know that trivia fact, but I know this past year you won like a ton of Reader's Poll Awards. For everything. Uh, yeah. It was just like, dang, this is Steve's year because he put a book out, That Pathways of Motion. Uh-huh. You know, he's been yeah. touring with Journey. You know, I mean, He put out, I think, an art record where he... He transferred the movements of his kit to some sort of visual medium. I think it's paint. I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly. But uh, yeah, Fabric of Rhythm. It's a wow. It's a solo album of drum pieces related to his own lighted sticks canvas art. Hmm. It's a, it's all drum pieces, so it has to be awesome to listen to. He's pretty incredible. Man. Yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know, you know, where it all ends, but I do know that he's near it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> as far mm-hmm. as like, I mean, it, he's just so incredibly like when I think of Steve Smith, I think of flawless. He's just flawless on the instrument. And it seems like if he's going to practice anything, he's going to he's going to practice it through and through. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's not going to just scratch the surface on anything. And I still have his DVD plays in our lobby all the time. The one where um, is it uh, John Riley is interviewing him. Which one is that? I mean, there's so many. Is that the history of the U.S. beat, or is that one no. of the other ones? It's one of the other ones. Well, it, I mean, he's kind of going back and forth between... It's like a standing on the shoulders of giants. Is that the one where it's more of a jazz history kind of... No, premise? no. This is... Ah, God, it, it's I. It's so funny, because I transferred it straight from DVD like eight years ago to my iPod, and that just plays in our <laughs> lobby. So okay. I have no... There's no title or no reference. It says, I have Steve Smith Disc 1 and Steve Smith Disc 2. But... <laughs> John Riley's interviewing him, and I mean they are going through the history of jazz because he's doing a bunch of Elvin stuff, a bunch, a bunch of Tony stuff, and then it, I think it's cutting in and out of the Modern Drummer Festival, like clips from that or some sort of drum festival he did. So that must be the yeah drum legacy, standing on the shoulders of giants. That's it. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it it's it's on all the time. And what's funny is I always forget like what a great instructor he is and a great educator he is, and I'll just walk by it. And then, boom, I'm stuck in front of the TV for 10 minutes. And I'm like, well, yeah. guess I'm not leaving now because he's breaking down this thing and uh, and then executing it flawlessly and playing all this jazz on 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, two snares, 22-inch yeah. kick, you <laughs> yeah, know, and true. making it sound at clear heads and killing it. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. I I still go back to his original videos The um, when he has the red sonar kit and the pinstripe mm-hmm. heads. I can't, what are they called? There's two of them. 
Uh, man, I'm super prepared here this week, but <laughs> they were old DCI CI videos. Uh, yeah, they are DCI. Yeah, I had and them on my DCI had, uh, sampler tape. Yeah, they had uh, Vital Information was the backing band for whenever they cut to those clips. But I learned so much from that. Yeah, and I, that's why Steve Smith to me was the drummer for Vital Information. And when people would reference him in Journey, I'm like, oh, is he is he doing like the Kenny Arnoff thing? Is he filling in for Journey? You know, and they're yeah, like, oh right. no, no, he was the drummer. Yeah, right. I mean, I learned about odd groupings from those videos. I learned, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many so many things about like simplicity, playing grooves without the hi hat, keeping time, and making sure your groove is grounded. Stuff that yeah. you know, I owe him a lot because I was I got these when I was you know a teenager, and it was like like really kind of set me up for a, a you know my whole concept of what great drumming is. It's mm. just called Steve Smith Part One. It's reissued by Alfred <laughs> uh, Alfred Music. So there's a Steve Smith Part One and a Steve Smith Part Two. You know what? At that level, what more do you need? I still have them, and I still have them on VHS, and I'm, I haven't gotten rid of my VCR just so I can watch those videos. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. You have a VCR? <laughs> oh, yeah. What kind of cables can possibly come out of it that could talk to your TV? I mean, you know. Like, do you have an old TV? Yeah, most TVs have the, the red, yellow, and white cable inputs. Come RCA? On <laughs> they don't. You're funny, man. Yeah, <laughs> the reissues are called Steve Smith Part 1, Steve Smith Part 2. And I think I think if you haven't seen those, those are kind of essential uh, early drum instructions that I think really still stand up. Totally, yeah. And you know what he opened up? <clears throat> excuse me. What he opened up for me as a rock drummer was I had this thing in my head as as a young kid that rock was on the hi hats and jazz was on the ride, and uh-huh. it wasn't like verse and chorus for me. It was like verse and chorus for me in rock was closed hi hats and open hi hats. The ride was just well. One, I had a, a 19 inch Zildjian Shimitar, which every time I hit it, I was like, "Okay, well, I'm never hitting that again." Um, so, uh, so anyway, so I remember when I watched those DCI videos. You know, Steve had so much open handed playing while he's on the ride, but he's still a rock guy, and he's playing on he's playing melodies on the toms, and it just opened up the drum set to me. The drum set was always this left side thing. I just stayed at home base tucked into the left side of my body kick hat and snare and Mm. then when i saw steve smith play it was like the whole drum set just opened up so his influence is huge and then getting to finally meet him about two years ago maybe three years ago he came to Folsom with uh zakir hussein oh yeah awesome i think he had i had had just been on your guys's cover and he got my number from you guys and Mm -hmm. um hit me up and said hey i'm going to be not just in sacramento but i'm going to be in Folsom. would you like to come out and he Man, I, I I had never met him before. I didn't know he was just that sweet. He's yeah, such a yeah. sweet, quiet guy. Um, and then just getting to watch him play with some of the most incredible rhythmists. Is that even a word? I don't know, but I, I think know. it's arguably that Zakir is the greatest percussionist on earth. So to go on stage with that guy, that's yeah, that takes a lot of uh, confidence to say the yeah. least. <laughs> and then also too, I mean, what I always love is watching than their faces when Steve's playing. Like, watching them get a kick out of his drumming is mm. is cool. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's impressing Zakir Hussain. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, was, it was a fantastic kind of, I don't know, almost like just the fact that Steve even reached out 
it was like validation enough. It was like, okay, I dude, I've watched your DCI yeah. videotapes since I was a kid, <laughs> right? And and you're in the Untouchables. It's you know, uh, yeah. you, Vinny, Dave, and, and, and the cats. You know, so did, did you ever try to learn that duet that Gary uh, Chafee wrote for him and Vinny, Seventh Heaven? No, I did not. Have I, you seen it? Uh, no, I didn't even <laughs> consider it. No, I that uh, was like a. Uh, that was like the unicorn for me in college. Like, okay. if if I okay. could find another drummer that could play this piece with me, and we wouldn't screw it up, it would be like the greatest achievement ever. And Thanks I, for saying college, though, because if you would have said like when I was in junior high, no, I, we no, literally no. it would have been like, well, that was our podcast. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's it's no joke because there's tons of polyrhythms and stuff, and I, I had to like really, I mean, it became like a, a thesis for me to study this thing. Like, wow. how do you break? Because it was like the first time I'd seen polyrhythms with different subdivisions within them, like all kinds of mm, yeah, crazy yeah, yeah. stuff. Uh, the recording, I, I hopefully it's still available, but it's Seventh Heaven. Vinnie actually couldn't do the, the session, so Gary Chafee plays one side and, and Steve plays the other side. Really? Where can you get this? Um, gosh, you probably can find it online. It's okay. It might be out of print. Um, I think it was actually a Modern Drummer Sound Supplement years ago. Huh. Uh, I got it, I think, at a PASIC. Someone had reissued it, and I bought it. I got the score and a CD of, of the, them playing the piece. It's incredible. Wow. It's an it's a yeah, you can, incredible piece. You can see, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you can see a bunch of guys on YouTube trying it. Yeah, so don't I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, try to find the original recording first. And oh, here it is. Um, yeah, the Seventh Heaven Gary Chafee Steve Smith Sound Supplement. Yep. Um, oh, is that somebody just playing it on a, on a record player, though? Let me see. It is on an actual record player. Uh, yeah, that's that's not going to sound too good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it'll it'll definitely lead you down a cool path, and you can check out uh, a bunch of Chafee videos and everything else. So <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll stuck get on it now. <laughs> yeah. All right. So. Everyone, check out some Steve Smith stuff, and uh, you can go to his website. Um, and then he has what a he has a vital information site as well, too, right? Yeah, I think that's his primary uh, website. That and he's still cool. he's still out with with uh, Journey, who like, another accolade they were voted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, the guys, it's been a great year for Steve, so we wow. felt it was a good time to get him back on the cover. Awesome. And the cover looks absolutely fantastic. I think it's one of the best-looking covers you guys have ever done. So congrats to your art department for that. And everyone, check out Steve Smith. All right, let's get to some candy. All right, where are we at? We are at Love Custom Drums, Brass, Copper, and some Old Steel. Yeah, I knew you'd like that one best. (laughs) I love the sound of it, too. It sounded great. So... First of all, cool sizes. These are six instead of six and a half or five and a half. Yeah, the brass is is the odd man out. It's a five and a half, but the other two okay. are six. So it's cool. they're essentially identically made drums. The well, at least the the brass and the copper just look like two different colors of the same drum. Right. Yep. Um, has the big chunky badge on it. The old steel he used like a riveted style badge to kind of keep it looking old, you know, rustic because it's super raw. It looks cool. Yeah. yeah, it looks really cool. And so, do they do their own lugs? <clears throat> I don't know exactly where they're sourced and everything, but it I'm pretty sure everything is their own design. It's uh, cool, yeah. I mean, design. Yeah, it, it looks cool. And, and on the uh, old steel, it looks like they even rusted up the lugs a yeah, little bit. Yeah, they're brushed the up a bit. Yep, yep. Cool. I first saw these guys in Nam. I believe it was two years ago. And within, like, two minutes of talking to Buddy, the, the owner, it was like, okay, this guy's legit. Like, he's okay. he's clearly a drummer. 
who's making drums for drummers. He's not just you know trying to jump in the game and using the trust fund to you know whatever right. start a business or whatever. Like right, his story is kind of classic. He just decided that he couldn't get a kit to sound the way he wanted to, so he started making his own drums. And then people saw him playing them out and offered to buy them, so he sold them and made another one and sold it and made another one and now it's a company. It's so cool. Man. So he's kind of tailoring to like these drums are made for real working drummers. So the and the prices are accordingly. So the five by five and a half by fourteen brass is only six hundred and fifty bucks. The old steel is only five hundred bucks and the copper is seven hundred bucks, which I mean, for essentially a handcrafted drum, that's about as good as you can get, I think. Totally. I, I you know, you and I were talking right before we actually started recording the podcast and I I thought it was like a misprint. Um, yeah. <laughs> I would expect these to be to be starting in the like low eights and go up from there. Right. Yeah. Um, no, these are super competitive. And so, you want to? What do you want to do? Drop in some audio first and talk about each yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. So I just I'm just kind of looking through them. So they're all eight lugs, right? Yep. Um. Okay. Yeah. We can uh, we can check it out. Let's do the brass first. So that's the brass drum. This for me was the one that was like, it it just did everything. It was like, okay. there's a reason why brass drums are so popular because it's kind of like get a good brass drum and and throw everything else away. <laughs> you know, it can kind of right. do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this was the one. It was just like more of everything for me. It just had a bigger sound, more open, a little bit more, more versatility, range. more range. Kind of like everything just felt balanced and and just ideal. Uh, which is funny because sometimes that then makes me think it's not my favorite, but <laughs> you know? right. But it's like it kind of does yeah. everything. You know, I wonder too how much it has to do with you know guys like us growing up in um, symphonic music and playing fourteen by fives that are usually chrome over brass or brass and and having a lot of um, sensitivity. Like I remember every school drum I ever yeah. played was you barely touch it with your finger and you hear the snares. Yeah. And I can't stand stave drums, even though they're incredible, because I can't usually I can't get enough sensitivity out of them. Um, Interesting. And so when then when I hear a drum like that, I'm like, yeah, that's what a drum should sound like. But then I think like, or am I just brainwashed from like (laughs) 10 years of school music uh, to think that that's what a snare should sound like? But that does sound fantastic. So that's a that's the five and a half. Five and a half by fourteen brass, so it's a rolled brass and it's, shell. Yeah, it's clean as all hell. So it it doesn't look like it's overly polished. It's just like like a flat brass. Almost. Yeah, yeah, it's just natural brass. Cool look, cool look. I love let's, it. Let's right. go to the copper next. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's got a lot of tone. It does. It ha- and I think it's it was more focused in the higher end, which made maybe yeah. made a more perceived tone. Maybe it's not really actually more tone, but it felt like right. it just had more high end and more bite to it. Uh, yeah. I've heard yeah. a lot of drummers kind of 
you know complain about copper drums like i can't get it to sound right like i can't find a sweet spot because i think they're they're trying to make it sound like a brass drum a brass drum yeah <laughs> it's like well what is right it's a copper drum make it sound like a copper drum yeah, yeah. it's just a different sound i really liked it tuned really high that was kind of my preferred sound for this drum yeah that it sounded sounded great i mean that that's a tough thing too is um it's all taste so you yeah. hit them until you like it yeah um Speaking of like it, I can tell you right now this is my jam. What's the, that? The next one up. Oh, the old the ne- steel? Yeah. All right, let's go to the old steel. All right. So, my opinion of that drum, uh, see if you agree, is that it's okay. it's like the rock drum of the three. It, especially yeah. when I got down in the medium low tunings, it just had that punchy. I just felt like I was playing, you know, like modern rock, like Dave yeah. Grohl, Queens of Stone Age, something like that. It was just a very punchy. I mean, it sounded great higher too, but for me, that was the like I could use this with my rock band today. Yeah, it's got good smack to it. Yeah, you know, it doesn't bottom out, and it's got great sensitivity for being a, a steel drum. But I, I think what I probably like about it too is that I'm a f- like I don't want to put ten Vader buzz kills on my drum. I don't yeah. want to put a bunch of gaff tape. And this is the I guess the deadest drum out of them because you you probably have what a single ply head on there. Single you know ply what? He actually coated. had uh, he had hand picked the heads. I do believe it has oh, okay. a thicker head. Oh really? Okay, uh, but that's what this drum needed. So that then that could be part of the reason why it sounds the way it does too. Um, but it just it just sounds yeah. That these are all fantastic drums, <laughs> but then there's just one that speaks to you, like the brass one. I dig it. I'm like, yeah, that's cool, man. And then when as soon as you hit that one, <laughs> I was like about to start a mosh pit with the scream. I was so excited. <laughs> so yeah, that was probably my the steel was probably my favorite of the three. But the one that I was like, all right, if I'm going to keep one of these, it's going to be the copper because I don't have anything that has that kind of bite. So I'm yeah, kind of at that I mean, point in my in my with my collection, I'm thinking, what can I fill in? What gaps can I fill in? Like that brass drum. Yeah. If if anyone's saying I want to get one uh, love custom drum, what should I get? Get the brass because that's right. everything. I can, you can make it sound like the the steel. You can make it sound like the copper. Sure. Honestly, if you put one little piece of gaff tape with a fold in it, it would sound like the steel drum sounded on its own. Right, like, exactly. So, so you're kind of there. And I'm not going to lie when when I see the you know that aesthetic yeah. of the old Rust. steel, it's just like yeah. Now, that's, why does that yeah. appeal to you? Is that is that like because you're in old old mining country in California and there's a lot of rusty <laughs> yeah. machinery around? There is. <laughs> I I don't I don't know, man. I I think it's. I've, I'm the same way with cars. Like, I would love a 1978 BMW 2002, the little boxy ones. Yeah. If somebody could make it for me right now, <clears throat> I don't want the one from 1978. <laughs> so I love vintage stuff as long as it's brand new. It's weird. I don't okay. like old crappy things. They break. <laughs> so to get whether it be like this or the ANF thing or. or uh, even the, um, all the stuff that Scott makes at Tackle, it's just like oh, yeah. cool. That looks like a, a snare bag from the 1920s. 
but I don't want it from the twenties. It would smell like a dude, like <laughs> some other some dude's cigarettes, and yeah, yeah. I want it to smell like it, like it just came out of the canvas factory. And so, uh, so yeah. So, but I don't know. And I, I kind of like variation a lot. And okay. if you look at that drum, there's texture and variation. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, he maintained a lot of the rust. I mean, it's not you're not going to get tetanus from touching this drum. He sealed it, but he maintained all the kind of rust and ruggedness. Even the the yeah. welding bead, he kind of left it a little bit more raw and didn't polish it down too much so it kind of it it feels you know feels steampunk kind of to me yeah i mean and and i don't want to go all what i like is like i don't want to go all that way but a brand new gretsch broadcaster with some vintage hardware and then that drum and it's like cool you know um look at my kit i've got a brand new gretsch (laughs) broadcaster with vintage hardware and an a and f snare yeah yeah and right now i've got a 14 by five and a half titanium (laughs) beauty on there which is pretty darn amazing super clean though that drum is super clean it is, but it's gray, and gray goes with everything. Yeah, okay, so uh, man, you don't even want to get it. Like we're getting ready to remodel this place and do like a full tear it down to the studs. Oh wow! You don't even want to know what's going on in my metro head, with <laughs> and it's going to be a walnut kit on a slate gray floor with balancing light. It's uh, it's it's not even fun being up in my dome. Oh my gosh! Uh, anyway, yeah, so, so yeah, love custom drums. I think. I, you know, I hope some people check him out. He's a great dude. He's you know he's legit. He's making drums for for us working drummers that sound awesome, and they they don't require a second mortgage to buy. Now um, that price point is awesome for the sound. Yeah, um, and he's doing a lot of weird stuff too. So the, these are just kind of like the the regular snare drums, but he's been doing stuff with like mixing the sizes of the batter head versus the resonant head on toms and kick drums and stuff. Oh, cool! You know, he's just going for it. It's just really fun yeah. to kind of see what he's. I love going it. For. It looks like what is that? Uh, what's the throw off? Is that a trick yeah they were tricks yep so yeah so i mean you're getting all super quality part this is like going to be a workhorse snare too exactly um so yeah i think i think it's awesome i was really impressed with these all righty let's get into oh it's time for listener questions it is i I, I prepared and and handpicked a few here so let's get right into it this first one comes from scott uh, what's the characteristic differences I should expect in hoops from diecast to double to triple flange, the feel and sound they tend to provide. And also what are stick chopper hoops? Uh, <laughs> so he says, for instance, I have two Gretsch kits, a Brooklyn and a USA custom. He wants to know, is it the shell makeup that accounts for the obvious difference in how they feel or is it the hoops? It's, it's the shell makeup, your Brooklyn and your USA. The main difference is, is the four middle plies of wood. So both kits have, uh, it's like a maple sandwich. So you've got, well, it's more like maple bread. You've got maple on the outside, maple on the inside, and then you've got four plies on your USA of gumwood. And then on your Brooklyn, you've got four plies of poplar. So Mm -hmm. that's going to be the major difference in the sound. Bearing edges are similar. uh, And then the hoops are different. Your USA Custom has die cast, and your Brooklyn has, what are they called, the 302s? Yeah, the which are those? Kinda, those are technically double flange, I think. Double flange tubes, yeah. So, besides the obvious, which is loading in and loading out with your USA, is a little bit heavier because those diecast tubes. Yeah. Uh, for me, I've just found that I get a much more open tone out of my Brooklyn, and my USA is just more focused. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the that's the difference I've found. Now, I, I haven't done a lot of sound tests between my hoops that I use, which I use a lot of different hoops on snare drums. But what do you find to be like? Would you actually trade out hoops on a drum to achieve something? Yeah, I mean, I don't do it very often, but um, I did do it on on one kit that I felt was just 
you know too open, too resonant, and I put uh, I didn't go as far as diecast, but I put heavy triple flange on there, and that, okay. that tightened up so the power the hoops. Yeah, like power hoops, called? Okay. something like that. That really tightened it up, and I I have done A B tests with diecast versus triple flange versus single flange, and it's essentially exactly that single flange which is just a straight piece of metal with claws that's going to have the mm-hmm. least impact on the resonance so the shell is going to vibrate the heads are going to ring as long as they can you think that might be ideal but i think the downside of that is it can just go it can just be too wide like the overtones yeah. just kind of go everywhere and you're like where is the fundamental pitch what you know you're losing yeah. everything so that's that's why those are great on old rounded bearing edge drums because they're kind of dead to begin with yeah um, so regular triple flange is kind of your all-purpose hoop that has some flex. So over time, if your shells kind of go out of round or whatever, they'll move with the drums. They kind of have your like medium resonance. And diecast is like super punchy. It just, yeah. I really think part of what we covet in the old Gretsch sound is because they were the first to start using diecast hoops, and it was like a whole new punchy thing. And it's great for the studio because it it just focuses everything and makes it just kind of snap. Yeah, I, I agree that, um, you know, my USA Custom is not in the sizes I play, so it's the kit that I play the least. But then when I went and did that thing in Nashville last year for Meinl, they the rental, the backline place got me a Piano Black USA Custom. And it was my first time playing a USA Custom in my current sizes, my mm. uh, 12, 14, 20. And yeah, it was tough not to call Gretsch and be like, so can we start making it? You know, I had just gotten a new Brooklyn and I was like, they they don't want to hear from me right Can't now. Can't they just send you um, sets of hoops and you can swap them out? No, no. Well, yeah, but it's still a different shell. Um, so oh, you want to use I mean, a USA custom. Yeah. I kind of was like, yeah, these, <laughs> okay. As advertised, these are still pretty amazing drums. Well, um, I would think this would probably be a, a fun experiment that we could share is if you mm-hmm. would swap the hoops on, like, just the toms. Sure. And just do an A-B, like, with both drums. Yeah. I imagine... Yeah, I could totally do it. I bet your Brooklyn would sound closer to your USA with the die cast than, okay. than, than we would naturally think. I so would. have we answered our listeners' question at all? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Die-cast He's like, hoops. I don't care about your stupid drums, Johnston. Diecast hoops are going to no, focus yeah. the sound. What the, oh, the downside for me with diecasts is not only that they're heavy, but they also don't feel good when you hit them. They're like right. it's like a shock to your system. So I, yeah, I don't use them up. very often, especially on snare drums. There's a few that I keep them on, but rim shot on a diecast hoop is it's like hitting the baseball badly, where it just yeah, I just don't like it. I, I agree. I mean, I love the hoops that come on the Brooklyns um, and on the Broadcaster, which is the 302 hoops. Uh, gives me a little bit of both. And then I do use the Angel hoops on a few drums. So that's like a single flanged hoop without a claw because they weld on yeah. the eyelets. Um, so I like those a lot. And just to your last question, what are stick chopper hoops or some people call them suicide hoops? That that would be single flanged hoops. Yeah, so. straight piece of metal because they're just like a, a knife, like a butter yep. knife just chopping up your sticks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next question. All right, next question is from Avery. Um, I hope you guys could give me some recommendations for bass drum batter heads on my bop kit. The kick is 16 inches, and I've been using a coated floor tom head, which isn't bad, but I have, a, have to work a little too hard to make it sound good. Thoughts? Mm. Uh, I've done this very thing, so I'm assuming that your, your 16-inch is a converted floor tom and not a bass drum. Because there is a difference between the collar that's used on a bass drum head versus a tom head. I made that mistake yep. trying to put a, 
a bass drum head on my on my floor tom it didn't quite work too good oh really yeah the collar's thicker so the hoop yeah, just, yeah of course the rim just won't go over it uh, i would say get a power stroke three and that will be perfect there you go done coated or clear or or renaissance and that'll that'll be it that'll be the head i tried them all that was the one that just sounded good no matter what Anything to add to that? <laughs> no, just just be prepared that a sixteen will. It's a it's a massive difference between sixteen and eighteen. It just really doesn't ever become that thick bass drum that you're hoping for. It's going to sound like a sixteen, yeah. um, no matter what head you put. There's just this body that's missing that starts at eighteen and goes up to twenty four. Yeah, that's a um, weird phenomenon because I can get my eighteen to sound and feel like a twenty or maybe even like a twenty two, but. I can too. Sixteen yeah. is just not going to happen. It doesn't push in no, the air. Exactly. It's in that's that because I had a sixteen on my. Um, I think that's what the Manukache kit came with. Yeah, um, I think so. And yeah, I just no matter what I did, it I just got to the point. I'm like, oh, it doesn't do that. It just yeah. doesn't. And then an eighteen is. It's so weird. The eighteen difference between my eighteen and my twenty is not that big, but the difference between a sixteen and eighteen is massive. Yeah, it's really. It, weird. It's almost like bass drums start at eighteen. Yeah. So I even though so. you could obviously put a 10 on the ground and raise it with a stand and hit it with a pedal, I think that it doesn't become a bass drum until you get to 18. Yeah. For me, just the feel. So I agree. I think go. 20 is probably the most all-around winner for bass drums. Agreed. Yeah, that's that's what I'm playing now. So All right. So this one is from – it's our last one coming from Camilo. Uh, he's from Colombia. I he know says, Camilo. Oh, yeah. Came to camp. Cool. Yeah. Says he has – Three acoustic kits, uh, DW Collectors, the Yamaha Maple Custom Absolute, and a Pearl MXR, um, which I think that would mean all of these are maple. Yes. Uh, and I'm thinking about getting a vintage kit for my recording studio, but I don't know where to start. The question is, are there some years that are like the holy grail for vintage kits? Oh, okay. Uh, is there a, a decade of classic drums? Any recommendations of the brand and year that I should be looking for? Oof. Depends on how much money you want to spend. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> What's what it that comes down true. to. I mean, if you're going to put it in a recording studio, then stay away from the 1968 Ludwig Black Oyster Pearl because you're going to pay three times as much as you would pay for a 1976 Ludwig with flat black finish. Right, With right. the exact same shells. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, what would you – so – have you experienced a lot of difference between a vintage Ludwig, a vintage Gretsch, and say a vintage Slingerland? It depends on how far, how recent it is, because there there was okay. a, there was a shift in uh, Ludwig shifted over to a I don't remember the plies, but they went to like a straight shell without reinforcement. They went away from the three ply to a, a thicker shell at some point. Sure. I wish I knew the exact date, but it's sometime in the seventies, I believe, or maybe the early eighties. Uh, so, but anything before that, it's all three ply shells. And it's going yeah. to be, and that's what's going to give you that vintage sound that you don't have in your kits. Yeah, it's going to be three ply shells with reinforcement rings and rounded edges, and it's probably going to be either maple on the outside and, and poplar on the inside, or it's going to be mahogany on the outside and poplar on the inside. Gretsch used gum, but that's you know that's really the only difference. So I think anything. I mean, I wouldn't go so far back as like. Sling on a radio, radio king kit from the forties sure. or thirties or whatever. But no, I'm thinking like late fifties all the way through the late sixties. Yeah, you know? I would pick mid sixties to mid seventies as kind of the golden range for me as okay. far as finding stuff that that's not going to be destroyed and it's not going to be an antique. Um, right. 
And if you get later, like I, I have a 68 Ludwig kit that I paid, you know, maybe a third of what I would have paid for a 65. You know, it's like. Right. So I think you just have to and look then, for something that's not beat up because a lot of those drums get water damaged just from over the years. One flood and yeah. the drum gets wet or gets rained on and those those plies start to separate and then mm-hmm. that's where you have issues. But Or a 120-degree garage. Yeah, it's just over – that's just so many damaged drums that people start to try to sell as high-end vintage kits. You have to be careful. Right. Uh, but any of the brands are good. Ludwig, Slingerland, Rogers. Ask about, yeah, Rogers. Um and you could do what I did, Camilo. I mean, I don't know if I had it when you were here at camp or not. I think I did because I think you were here last year. But, you know, my my brand new broadcaster, you can get it with vintage hardware, which I have, um, which all the guys at the studio were freaking out about. They're like, how'd you muffle the drum with no tape? That's like... <laughs> It's on the inside. It's got robots um, on the inside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I told my nanobots to go do it. Um, so you could get a, a brand new broadcaster and get it with vintage hardware. But, I mean, really, you're getting a vintage drum because it's a three-ply shell with rounded bearing edges. So yeah, yeah. if you're like me and you want the vintage thing but you want brand new stuff, then you can do that as well. So. Yeah, and that's what the Ludwig, uh, I think it's the Legacy series is. Same thing. They're, they're doing the old oh, style. Oh, okay. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you can um, find for under a thousand bucks, you should be able to. Uh, well, I don't know about in Colombia, but you should be able to find a pretty affordable, not beat up. Like, I wouldn't go for anything that's a collector's quality. You don't need a super clean finish. Just right. get something that's been well taken care of, but it's not like 100% perfect. It's going to sound right. awesome. Uh, yeah. Slingerland would probably be the cheapest, at least around here. Then Ludwig, Rogers, Gretsch is, is more pricey and rogers is real much more pricey right awesome well i hope that helps guys and it's time for pick of the week uh dude yeah are you ready for this yeah what do you got because mine is pretty lame my life has been changed Uh okay and i'm gonna sound like a hippie but have you ever tried the sensory deprivation tanks like floating no but i mean joe rogan does it and i mean i've seen people just oh, really? go on and on about it i don't know that that stuff is maybe there's some of those over here i think that's a west coast thing primarily <laughs> i think it's you, you you're weirdo, slightly making fun of me in you your eyes weirdo hippies <laughs> want to go like like float in some weird liquid in absolute darkness <laughs> okay it's not weird liquid it's epsom salt um anyone that's had an ingrown toenail has floated their foot in it but uh so so what I was at dinner with uh, the band and, and some friends, and we were talking about like mind altering drugs. And uh-huh. if anyone knows me personally, I'm, I'm what you would call straight edge. So I've never tasted alcohol, I've never tried a drug, I've never smoked a cigarette. Um, and so I was like, man, the only drugs that appeal to me are like LSD and mushroom, like <laughs> all, because all the other drugs alter your mood. I just do that on my own. I'm like, damn, I'm kind of down today. Let me go get peppy. And then yeah. I just, I don't know, I get happy. But to see like an elephant in the room, that sounds awesome. <laughs> the problem was. That's dangerous. At, at my school, there was always that kid drooling in the corner. I'm like, what happened to Jason? I'm like, oh, he had a bad trip. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm never doing that. Um, so I never got around to trying drugs. So we were talking about this and then. Uh, never got around to it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll just stay away from that. And then, so, uh, yeah, my buddy Lou said, have you tried, uh, like, a sensory deprivation tank or have you tried floating? And I was like, no, what is it? And he told me the whole thing and that you sit in absolute darkness and absolute silence floating in 
room temperature or body temperature water that you don't feel on your skin and you just float for an hour. Man, did did it go fast or was it like torturous? There's no sense of time. You'll have a thought about a lick that you're working on. And then when you complete that thought, you can't tell if it took you three seconds or 35 minutes. Dude, there's you no tripping. sense of time. <laughs> You're tripping. And that's well. That's the whole point. It, it was actually like a, a neuropsychiatrist um, built this as like an extension to LSD and all that kind of stuff. As far as ways to instead of doing LSD, let the mind um, create the chemicals on its own. So I know I sound like a hippie. I get it, but I'm telling you, I've done it twice now, and on the second time. I just immediately went to the front desk. I was like, where do I sign up for the monthly pass? Like, uh. And she's like, it starts. I was like, I do not care. At this moment, take my card. Don't tell me what the price is because it's not the cheapest thing. Uh, you could probably do like a one-hour session is somewhere between uh, $50 and $70. That's not bad. So, I was always going to be a couple hundred. No, no, no. So it's the same. I mean, honestly, I've done massage therapy and everything. I would trade a massage in a heartbeat for this. I've had chronic shoulder pain for about six months, and I've just been too scared to go to a doctor because I'm scared he's going to be like, we need to perform surgery. Mm. And I'm like, no, no, (laughs) I'll just live with the pain for the rest of my life. Uh, And uh, yeah, within one float, I cannot recreate the pain that I've been having for six months. I know I sound like an idiot. I get it. Trust me. (laughs) I laugh at all these people that are like, well, I had a brain tumor the size of a grapefruit, and then I thawed it away. I'm like, okay, I'm not... (laughs) Show me a picture of before. So I understand that I sound like that, but I'm telling you, man, this thing changed my life. I signed up for the monthly pass. I'm not doing the oxygen bar crap at the end of it. All the, what I, what I is walk, that? I have no idea. I just walk out like a man. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. I don't stop in the lobby where like they're all like hanging out and like talking about their float. But it's pretty cool. So you can choose to have the lights on. You can choose to have music on, or you can do the full sensory deprivation. But in the darkness, there's no difference between having your eyes open and closed. It's pitch black. There's no sound. You put in uh, like uh, swimmers' earplugs because your your head is submerged. The only thing that's sticking out is like your nose and your mouth, so you can breathe. Wow! But it's incredible, man. I will. I promise you this on the podcast. I will pay for your first float if you'll just try it. If we can find one anywhere near you, I'm certainly not against it. I just don't know if it exists. I'm sure there. I'm sure it does. Uh, but. I'll, Dude, it's on me. Like it will, it will change your world, man. It, especially if you have a busy mind. What happens yeah. is while you're in there, it's almost like everything that you thought was important, your brain figures out that what is important and what isn't, and it takes the non-important crap that's been just kind of cluttering you, and it moves it to your own personal recycle bin and presses empty. And when mm-hmm. you get out, I'll, all I would tell you is bring a notepad with you because you are going to have dreamlike thoughts that you're so scared you're going to forget them the second you come out of this thing. Uh. Um, so I, I I I worked out the entire. I know I sound like a freaking crackhead right now. I'm like <laughs> fidgeting. I'm like I I I I, 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 <laughs> I worked out the entire. Ireland curriculum in my float two in days one ago. hour, one hour, wow, dude! And I thought I, I was like, I think they forgot about me. It's been like about six hours, <laughs> dude. I fine, I'm done. I, I'm just telling you, man, it's game changing. Well, there's there's a place called Serene Dreams in Kearney, New Jersey, which is about 20 minutes from me. So just send me a link to that right now, and I will pay for your first float. All right, fair enough. Should I, should I get to my non-life-changing but semi-life-changing yes. pick? Yeah, tell me about your drum key that can reach <laughs> to like your pedal. 
It's my pick of the week is LSD. No, it's not. <laughs> uh. I am a habitual to-do list maker, but I hate uh, organization apps because you have to learn the app in order to use it. So I just get sure. frustrated. Like I don't. I want immediate. Like I have things to do. I want a, a way to organize it. I've been using notepads and all kinds of stuff for years. But I found this very simple app just called Do exclamation point. It's about as simple as you can get. It looks like a piece of notebook paper. You type in what you have to do, and then when you are when you complete the task, you double-tap it, and there's a line drawn through it. And you can set up, like, re- reoccurring things. So, like, I have my single-stroke workout, my timing practice, guitar, bass, nice. uh, strength training, stretching, things that I want to do every day that they just recur, and it just keeps me, keeps me on point. And then I've got all my daily work for the magazine, everything on there. So it's just super simple. You know, it's not it's not revolutionary, but it saves me for having to no. carry a notebook around with me. Yeah, I, I'm I'm downloading it right now. I I think I've told you before. I used one uh, that I called Toto because I didn't know it was to do. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And so my Toto list, and it, it like you said, the interface is the only problem. You know, I, mm. I I want to use it, but every time I open it up, it's such a process. Yeah, that I'm like, I hate that. It's it's not that's not going to work for me. <laughs> Like I I'm like, you no don't understand the part that part of my to-do list is that I don't have 20 minutes to fill out my freaking to-do list. <laughs> yeah. Why am I yelling at you? I'm not <laughs> mad at you, Mike. You just saved me a bunch of time and money on car insurance. All um, right. That's it. Do exclamation right. points. Free. It's been great for, for just keeping me on track and not having to like – because I usually make a to-do, to-do list every day. So I have like 10 lists after a week and a half. And I'm like, which one of these am I currently working on? So this just keeps me keeps me organized. Can I pay for a version that doesn't have an – Amazon, probably with a little ad on the bottom. Yeah, I think I can. I'm going to do that now. They got me. They got my money. That doesn't bother me. (laughs) Well, you can get the free version and have a little Amazon thing at the bottom, or you can pay (laughs) whatever it is. (laughs) It's probably a dollar. I don't know. I'm about to find out. Oh, dude, remove the ad for (laughs) $1.99? Boom. Oh, Amber loves that bill. She's like, what did you spend a $600 on Apple for? I'm like, I got 200 metronome apps. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it goes. Important. <laughs> All right, everybody, have a fantastic week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. And once again, thank you so much for those positive reviews on uh, wherever you're getting this podcast from. Also, if there's a place that you want to be listening to us but you can't let us know so that we i mean mike and i are pretty new at this so if we need to be somewhere else so that you can listen to this podcast we will do whatever we can to make that happen for you You can always write us at mdinfo at modern drummer.com that's it so next Perfect. week let's get it on we'll see you all right later buddy see ya